0: Well, very good. Well, today uh, we are going to uh, continue in our study of, uh, of Acts, the book of Acts. And it's so relevant to, especially in this part, we're in this middle section of Acts where we are reading the narrative description of uh, Paul and, uh, and his entourage going to various locations uh, bringing the message of Yeshua. And there's so, besides the specifics of each situation, uh, there really is a lot for us to be reminded of, you know, in these uh, in these texts. So I wanted to read a couple of paragraphs from a, a book that I have that's actually written by uh, someone who's been here, um, Daryl Bach. Uh, he... Um, uh, wrote a book about uh, the Book of Acts and it's one of a variety of sources, and so he had a he had a good thing to say, I think, about the end of chapter 17. That's where we left off. The end of chapter 17 and sort of a sort of a summary of the last few chapters, chapters like six, actually 16 and 17. And he's quoting some other authors here, but I'm, I just wanted to read, uh, and I, I'll kind of uh, summarize this as well. It says in sum. Paul directly engages the current culture. He does so w- with the attitude that although his argument challenges the way people are living, his, me- his message stresses the good news as an invitation into a new life and seeks points of contact with such desires as already exist in the culture. In other words, what he's saying here is is that He's not pointing a finger at them, telling them that they better say the prayer or they're going to go to hell, okay, but that he's engaging them as human beings in a particular culture and just like Yeshua did, makes the message an invitation, makes the message an invitation. That doesn't mean water down the message, right? You don't read that here but it becomes an an invitation. Paul knows his own message and the mentality of the people that he's sharing with. Too many Messiah followers know their own message but understand far too little about how and why others think as they do. As John Stodd points out, who's a very interesting uh, writer from a past generation, I guess I should say from the last century, Uh, points out, one can admire how Paul could speak to people in the synagogue, to those in the city square, and to the highly sophisticated. This ability to adapt made him very effective. Whether in informal conversations or in formal settings, the ability to set forth the faith at a level appropriate to the setting is a valuable talent. Key to all of these presentations of the gospel is a theology that sees God in his most basic roles, as Paul proclaims here. He's creator, sustainer of life, and the sovereign over the nations, and the father of all of humanity. For all the disputation over creation and how it took place, the most fundamental truth is that God is the creator of life, and we are God's creatures. Responsible to him. This means that God is and has the right to be our judge, something our world seeks to avoid acknowledging. Another important observation is that despite being aggravated by all of the idolatry that he sees around him in Athens, Paul manages to share the good news with a generous but honest spirit. The Paul of Romans 1, who speaks of the sad state of society, is still able to love and connect with that society in Acts 17. This also is an important lesson. Sometimes we, Messiah followers, are so angry at the state of our society that all that comes through is the anger and not the love we are to have for our neighbor in need. Those who see this anger and want to represent the faith differently can overreact the other way, almost pretending as if there is no idolatry. As long as the uh, religious search is sincerely motivated, Paul avoids both of these extremes. He knows how to confront, but does so honestly and graciously. Both message and tone are important in sharing the good news. Here, Paul is an example of both. Isn't that great? I thought that was just really uh, very good. And that is really something you get out of this whether he is at Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, or Athens. And now, as we'll see right now uh, in uh, Corinth, uh, uh, how he presents uh, the, uh, the message and what happens to him. Now, what's interesting about what we're going to look at now in uh, Corinth, to me, this is one of the most interesting uh, passages because it, I think it really informs the letters that he writes to the corinthians okay uh, and we'll uh, we'll understand that there's something else that's going on here uh, as we'll see i probably should say this after i well here let me read a few verses and then we'll talk about it so beginning in verse 1 of uh, acts 18 it says after these things you know after his uh, at mars hill his you know the 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 message that he gives there and all that After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Shabbat, every Sabbath, and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Yeshua was the Messiah. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being immersed. And the Lord said to Paul in the night, in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you, in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. But while Galio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or of vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him. In front of the judgment seat, and Galileo is not concerned about any of these things. Okay, so there are things we we can understand about this text, and some things that we're not quite sure uh, about, but uh, but are quite quite interesting. All right. So the first thing is here. Uh, well, I'll just say this. You know, it's interesting that the amount of uh, space that Luke writes about Athens uh, in a a few days you know uh, Paul is only there for a short period of time he also writes about Corinth where he was for a year and a half that's just kind of an interesting observation you know and so you have to ask yourself well why did he write what he wrote well perhaps he was bringing out uh, a couple of different things about each each place and it didn't have to do with the length of time but of certain things that happened to Paul in these different cities, in these different locations. Another observation is, notice he's going to metropolises. He's going to strategically important urban areas. You know, it's interesting, we live in a world where we as Messiah followers sometimes want to be away from everything, you know? away from the idolatry, away from the sin, away from, you know, live out in the middle of Yenervelt uh, of in the middle of, of nowhere, so that we can be immune to the issues of the world. Now, certainly, we're not all called to be uh, emissaries of Yeshua in the same way as Paul. And there's certainly nothing wrong with uh, getting a nice piece of land uh, out in the country somewhere. It's certainly fine and dandy, but it is interesting that he goes to strategic urban locations. Uh, uh, Athens was one of them, and certainly here, uh, Corinth is one of them. You know, kind of like Athens in a way, uh, uh, Corinth is a wealthy city. Uh, 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 Corinth uh, has a port. Uh, It is a gateway, you know, from east to west. And, and uh, but it was also a place where every two years, uh, 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 games would be held. Like people would come and participate in uh, you know in, in games, uh, like athletic events. Uh, as one writer put it, it was kind of like the Las Vegas of you know of the ancient world. I don't know about that, uh, but uh, but yet uh, just a, a wealthy strategic location full of activity, okay? Uh, and like many of the cities, it had a, a, certainly a Jewish quarter, and that's what we read about here. Now we read here, it says, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now that is a really interesting, That that's also very interesting about... Now that uh, is recorded in, in history, and that took place around the year forty nine. Around the year forty nine, and there's reason to believe from the from the ancient histories about this that uh, that in Rome there were major upheavals over Yeshua. Okay. Now, people just, you know, scholars uh, have different opinions about whether it was or it wasn't, uh, but it is yet very, very interesting. Uh, But all the Jews were, uh, you know, were uh, kicked out of Rome. Now, what's interesting about Claudius, though, is that in the big picture of the empire, he uh, he was tolerant of Jews. Of, of Jews practicing uh, their uh, faith, uh, uh, as long as it didn't, as long as it was not a threat uh, to Rome or to the uh, uh, you know to the authorities. But evidently, in Rome itself, there was such an upheaval that because that's one thing the Romans hated was any kind of uh, you know rioting upheaval of of of, uh, of groups, and it had to be quelled basically at all. In, you know in all ways, uh, uh, kind of what was going on in Jerusalem you know when uh, Yeshua was uh, crucified right uh, And so uh, the, the Jews were expelled in 49. yet again Claudius was tolerant in, in the big picture uh, of uh, Jews being allowed to practice their uh, their ancestral traditions as, as actually will come out in this in this chapter. Uh, But nevertheless, this is where Aquila and Priscilla come from. One of the things it tells us uh, is that the good news had gone to Rome uh, before Paul was there. And so that's also kind of of interesting. Uh, And uh, and so uh, we're introduced now to Aquila and Priscilla. Now, how did they uh, meet up with Paul? Well, it could be because of connections of being messiah followers but also as it says they uh, they were also tent makers they were it was called le- actually w- working with leather okay though it wasn't only tents but they did other other things as well they perhaps they were you know and were part of an ancient guild uh where people in the same profession uh you know would know one another i think we can uh relate to that so it says uh, uh, they were of the same trade. That uh, Paul stayed with them, and they were working for by trade. They were tent, mass, uh, tent makers. And now we, now we see uh, what, what he was doing. And it says, And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Shabbat, but trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. This sounds just like, you know, many other places where he's been. He goes to the Jewish quarter. Uh, uh, here, and uh, but persuading, though, is it's kind of an interesting word uh, here uh, in that it gives the impression of there was uh, some kind of, um, you know, polemics going on, some kind of arguing about uh, if Yeshua is, is the Messiah, uh, and also it's always interesting when you read both Jews and Greeks uh, in, a, in the synagogue, meaning, uh, you know, there were Greeks who were not quite God-fearers. You know, but, but they were interested. They were sympathetic. They were present. Uh, and, uh, and so Luke makes a point of saying that. All right. So what you see is is uh, through verse 4, Paul is bivocational. <laughs> okay? In other words, he's a tent maker. He's working with Priscilla and Aquila. And on Shabbat, he's uh, in the synagogue reasoning with, with the people about Yeshua. All right? And then notice it says in verse four, and when he, oh, I'm sorry, in verse five, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began, remember, Paul was by himself. Remember, he left them there, right? But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Yeshua was the Messiah. So that's also kind of interesting what was it about Silas and Timothy coming were they also tent makers and uh, and they took up his business or what is it well it seems that most likely what it was is that Silas and Timothy came with support came with gifts so that Paul at least for the time being I uh, didn't have to engage in this uh, trade, but he was able to devote himself uh, completely uh, uh, to the word and solemnly testifying to the Jewish people that Yeshua was the Messiah. Uh, and so there, there you have, again, I, I love the simplicity of the of the message, right? Testifying solemnly that Yeshua was the Messiah. All right. Then it says, and when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. Now, when Paul says things like, well, first of all, I guess we should understand when it says, when they resisted and blasphemed. blaspheme means basically slandering the name of Yeshua. You know, uh, lots of people do that, Right? I, I, blaspheming the name of, of Yeshua, attributing who Yeshua is uh, to either, you know, Hasatan uh, or just, uh, you know, slandering his name. I, I, and so when Paul says, uh, you know, your blood be upon your heads, this is not an anti-Jewish statement. Okay, that's really important. This is an intra-Jewish uh, discussion, and you read it from time to time when Paul says things that are, you know, really rough. But uh, I will say that uh, I myself have been in plenty of conversations with Jewish people uh, that where, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a difficult conversation. It has nothing to do with uh, being anti uh, Jewish or not, uh, you know, uh, or or anything like that. Uh, It has to do with, uh, you know, the discussion at hand. Uh, And so what Paul is basically saying, and this is, it's kind of interesting that he says, okay, he's like, I'm done here. I'm clean. You know, I I, I have not uh, said anything or done anything apart uh, from what is right before God, and so I'm going to the I'm going to the Gentiles. Now he doesn't mean going to the Gentiles forever and and forgetting about uh, the Jewish people, but in Corinth, uh, you know, his a strategy now he was going to uh, go to Plan B or maybe Plan A. Uh knowing what was probably going to happen <laughs> okay, and so that's very important. sometimes we cherry pick these verses and and come up with all kinds of uh, strange things uh but his goal was bringing the good news to Jew and Gentile alike, right and he saw that there was a door that was closed here this was this was not going to go anywhere, and so he says well now i'm I'm going to go to People that want to hear this, that, that either want to hear the message or are willing to hear, hear the message. Okay? It's just, you know, important to understand that. It had nothing to do with a, a lack of desire. We know when you, when you read uh, Romans, for example, when you read the Romans chapter 10, at the beginning of the chapter, what does he say? He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness, he's talking about Jewish people. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And so, you know, he is very desirous of these people knowing the Lord. But uh, his ultimate goal is sharing this message. But while, while he says, now I'm going to the Gentiles, you know, he doesn't go very far. He doesn't, you know, if, like if you are in Israel and you're in the old city, You know, uh, there's the Muslim quarter, there's the Armenian quarter, there's the Christian quarter, there's the Jewish quarter, right? Uh, And uh, while they're not far away, you do have to go uh, for a walk to get to uh, another location, right? Okay, so uh, here, notice uh, what happens. It says, and he departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justice. A worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue, next door, in the Jewish part of town, in the Jewish quarter of Corinth. And so he's called a worshiper of God. He's obviously not Jewish, right? A worshiper of God, but uh, someone who had identified with the God of Israel, right? Uh, And who has received this message. But now it's really interesting... Now, clearly there was um, a lot of fruit bearing going on in Corinth. But what Luke does is he names a a Jewish person and a a non-Jewish person as two people who have received the message. Because it's not only uh, this worshiper of God whose house is next to the synagogue, (laughs) but Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians when they heard, were believing and being immersed. Wow. So this is really something. This is next in the area where the synagogue is. A lot of activity has taken place. This is the birth of the congregation of uh, in uh, a Corinth. And when you read, most people, if you, if you mention Corinth or you mention 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, most people are not going to think, oh, this was like a Jewish, uh, a Jewish place, a Jewish setting. But the reality is, is that it was, right? The, the ecclesia here certainly is a, 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 a Jewish-oriented place where Jews and Gentiles were believing in the Lord, right, and worshiping, worshiping him. Now, this is really very important, especially when you read. It really informs 1 Corinthians. Did you ever wonder why, why is it that it's in 1 Corinthians that you read about Passover? It's in 1 Corinthians you read about unleavened bread. It's in 1 Corinthians you read about the Feast of first fruits. And not only that, but it's also in 1 Corinthians where Yeshua is identified as the wisdom of God, which was also a Jewish category that these people in this congregation had an understanding of the Jewish ways, of Jewish culture, of Jewish tradition. After all, it started right next to the synagogue, right? Uh, and uh, and that is, that's very important. If you're ever studying uh, 1 Corinthians uh, with any depth, you need to be well aware of this passage. In Acts chapter 18, because you also read about some of the people that are mentioned here, you read about them in 1 Corinthians. Okay, so very, very important. All right. So uh, we would say in today's world that the president of the synagogue uh, came to know the Lord uh, and and his household. And you know, of course, how's this for laying uh, 20 and 21st century life back into the first century? Just for fun, uh, that uh, boy. If the if the president of the synagogue comes to believe, you better believe it's gonna be uh, it's gonna make waves. And uh, you know, uh, I know some of you are thinking. I know some presidents of synagogues, right? And and certainly uh, it would uh, it would make a big difference. You have to understand that the leader of the synagogue, he is the leader of the synagogue. I'm going to suppose that others in the synagogue, Jew and Gentile, came to believe that this is no small thing. You don't read this in any of the other uh, exploits of Paul, that the leader of the synagogue came to believe. Okay, And also, evidently, a very influential person who was uh, a worshiper of God came to believe. Why do I say very influential person? Because his house was next to the synagogue. That's no small Thing. Okay? Uh, I, and so, so far, so good. Now, now, the Lord said to Paul in the night in a vision, which uh, Paul has had some experience with, receiving a vision uh, from the Lord, right? Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And so here Paul receives this revelation, this message, frankly, much like he received on the way to Damascus and we, and by his own testimony at, uh, at other times, that, that the Lord, and I'm going to suggest uh, that this is uh, Yeshua who, has, who is speaking to him, uh, says, stay there, stay there. And so he's there for a year and a half. That's a long time in, in those days and in his life at this point, uh, a year and a half. Okay. Now, in verse 12, it says, but when Galileo was pro-council, now, we know when that was. This is really helpful. It was actually a short period of time. It was 51 and 52. So this takes place Sometime in that around then, 51, 52, okay, was counsel of Achaia. The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. By the way, you know what that's called? It's called the Bema, <laughs> right? Saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, here, this is a very interesting statement. And there's a lot we don't know about what, what exactly they're talking about. We don't know is it the law of Moses? And if it's the law of Moses, why would uh, they even approach uh, the, the proconsul? Or is it the law of Rome? Could it possibly be that they are accusing Paul of teaching a new, see, I, I usually don't use this terminology, teaching a new religion, teaching a new, uh, a new faith? Remember what uh, the people in Athens said? That this is something new. This is something we have not heard before. Now, the thing is, you know, um, back in 2013, I had the opportunity to go to Russia. Uh, and I was uh, in Moscow teaching uh, Messianic leaders from all over, uh, all over uh, Russia. And without going into all the details, there was a lot of interesting things that I learned. I, but one of the things I learned is that uh, there was no category for Messianic Jews to be in officially. Right? Uh, officially, you could be Jewish, you could be Christian, you could be Muslim, and you can be—you could be, I believe, I think it's either Hindu or Buddhist. I can't remember. But if you don't fall into those categories, you can't legitimately be a faith tradition, you can't be a religion, you can't meet, you can't, right? Uh, And uh, that's that's something that I learned there. Well, this was the case actually also in the Roman Empire, that you had to be like a recognized religious entity. And if you were, that was good news. As long as you didn't make waves, you could could meet, you could do what you wanted to do. And being Jewish was one of them in, in the empire. So what's kind of an anomaly about Claudius is, in Rome, in 49, he kicked all the Jews out, yet Claudius, in the big scheme of things, was tolerant toward religious traditions. Okay, And so it is very possible that what the the Jewish people who were approaching Galileo was saying is that he's teaching strange things. And, and perhaps the use of law is kind of ambiguous. Jewish law, Roman law, whatever it is, Galio, it's bad, right? Uh, and so then we read, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, <laughs> right? Galio said to the Jews, he would, doesn't let Paul speak. It's very interesting. If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. So what that tells us is is that whatever they were trying to communicate to Galileo, Galileo understood this as like, this has nothing to do with anything that I care about. It has nothing to do with anything I care. I don't really care about the Jews. I don't really care about what's going on in the Jewish community as long as... He, as long as I do not perceive it to be a threat. Okay, so that's very interesting. He doesn't do anything. But then notice what it says uh, in the next verse. Uh, it says, then he drove them away from the judgment seat. And then in verse 17, Luke adds a very interesting uh, little, little piece of uh, information. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat and galio was not concerned about any of these things so now here if you open up a commentary you know get a good cup of tea and read 20 pages about who sosthenes might have been okay uh, now in 1 corinthians chapter 1 in verse 1 you read about sosthenes who was a believer okay but Sosthenes is a very common was it a common name. Now, I know there aren't too many kids in kindergarten these days called Sosthenes, right? But it was a common name. So it doesn't have to be the same Sosthenes. It could be. But he's called the leader of the synagogue. Right? I thought Crispus had been the leader of the synagogue, right? So here, this is great. I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to relay what I've read about this. Maybe there were two synagogues. Maybe this is a different synagogue. You know, the one that there's always two synagogues, right? One that I'm a member of and the one that I left, right? Always two. Always remember that, right? Uh, And so perhaps Sosthenes was a believer who... Uh, is uh, being beat up, you know, by the uh, uh, leader of the synagogue, maybe maybe the successor to Crispus, maybe another synagogue, and maybe he's a believer being beat up. But then there are a number of people that understand Sosthenes here, and and, and that the reason that Luke brings this up is that he was not a believer, and that he's being beat. In other words, this is like an anti-Jewish event taking place. And that Galileo is not concerned. And that what Luke is trying to convey is that Galileo is simply not concerned. That he just is not interested, uh, you know, in what's going on in the Jewish community. So basically, Sosthenes is either a, the same Sosthenes uh, as in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 1. I think that's a pretty good, there's a, you know, there's a, it's very reasonable to hold that because. Uh, Luke is is mentioning his name, not just a person, but he mentions his name, and it, it seems like quite a coincidence that that Paul would mention a person with the very same name, you know, uh, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. So you know you can do some further study on that and, and uh, come to your own conclusion, but I would suggest that probably he was a a, a person who. Uh, they were familiar with, and, and that simply the, that uh, Galileo is not interested. Okay, uh, and I would say that, that that Luke's main point is what's at the end of the verse. Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. Okay, uh, and uh, and so uh, that means that uh, Paul was not being troubled by the authorities. In Corinth, very, very interesting. And I think that, you know, uh, that in and of itself is very important for us to understand for when we read 1 Corinthians. That when we read 1 Corinthians, you're reading about a congregation that in its origin, the origin of the the local congregation was uh, in the Jewish quarter or Jewish section of the city of Corinth. That it was the leader of the synagogue and another really important person in the synagogue, who basically founded the congregation along with with Paul, right? Uh, and that Jews and Greeks uh, were uh, were coming to uh, believe both, uh, and that uh, and that in the way that Paul writes 1 Corinthians, uh, you can tell that he's writing to people who have knowledge of Jewish affairs. You know, he does, when he's writing the letter uh, to the Colossians, he doesn't uh, really talk about Passover and first fruits. You know, it's just kind of interesting uh, that he does so here. And so I think that this is a great example for us. As I said at the very beginning, it's a great example for us uh, of uh, uh, Paul going to, one, an urban area, uh, a strategic location, not being ashamed of the good news, uh, and uh, 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 seeing uh, a fruit being born there. And I will say that if you look at chapters um, uh, 16, 17, and 18, like as a, well, well, to the middle of 18 anyway, as a unit. Okay? This is called Paul's second journey. Okay? Or the mo- or the majority of it is Paul's second journey from Antioch. And what we see is that uh, the message, that, that, that there's trouble uh, in bringing the message. That some believe, not everybody. It's not uh, like well, some big city crusade and everybody's coming forward from everywhere. Right? But he's true to the message. And and he doesn't stick around when the message isn't being received and he's not all he's concerned about is is sharing the message of yeshua we read that uh he doesn't he, he is uh, accosted he's a roman citizen but he's accosted he's accused he has to sneak out of cities at night and go to the next town and when he sees that that you know there's um there's no uh, interest in the good news. He goes to another place. Here he comes to Corinth, and the Lord tells him, stay a year and a half. Stay. And we see that uh, fruit is indeed born from it. And so this should encourage us when we think about uh, our calling and, and mission uh, that uh, I, I think it's very important that when we, when we ask ourselves, what is, what is our mission? Our mission is to make disciples of Yeshua, the Messiah. Our vision is a presentation that is a Jewish presentation, experiencing Israel's future, uh, uh today. And in that context, making disciples of Yeshua. And remember that making disciples of Yeshua means everything from bringing the good news to people that have never heard it, to uh, uh, to participating ourselves in learning and growing in depth and study, we're always in the process of being made disciples. You know what I mean? Uh, and all in this uh, a Jewish uh, a context. Uh, and so, uh, you know, now that we're, uh, so, you know, we're coming back into uh, our normal way of engaging uh and not just sort of getting through something i i hope that when uh, when i say that you know the the view of the future is bigger than what's behind us that we realize that 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 future uh, is let's get back to bringing this message to uh people to to the jewish community here in our city and elsewhere and and others as we engage uh, as we engage people uh, and may uh, you know and may we realize that is indeed that is uh, what we're here for and that is indeed our our mission. and so uh, uh, I always found that the founding of this congregation in Corinth there's a lot uh, that we can relate to as a you know as a messianic Jewish community and it also really helps us to understand what's going on a little bit in First Corinthians so uh, with that in mind, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, I just uh, pray uh, this morning that that we might be energized when we look back and we see, oh, wow, this uh, well-known congregation, this well-known New Covenant congregation was founded uh, in the Jewish community of, uh, of Corinth. Uh, and it was founded by not just some Jews who happened to be around, but by the Machers, the, the, the leaders of the synagogue came to believe. May we be encouraged uh, in that. May we pray for the leaders in the Jewish community even today uh, in, in our city, uh, God. And, uh, and Lord, where there is uh, some opposition, may we realize that there's lots of opportunities of sharing the good news. And uh, Lord, I pray for us that we might remember what our mission is, making disciples for Yeshua. And in everything that we do and everything that we say, are we living a, a way of life where people can see it and see the risen Messiah? Uh, and may we be like Paul, not pointing our finger uh, in anger, but rather uh, being inviting for people to come and know Messiah Yeshua and uh, God. So thank you for this great uh, instruction that we receive here uh, as Luke shares with us uh, these important uh, historical facts about the founding of the Kehillah, or Ecclesia, at Corinth. And we pray in Messiah's name.